Broadcasting live from a countryside manor, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Zeba, and I'm joined by my Sheila Nagis, Mila, Louisa, and Taya. And this is our second episode of the month talking about horrible men in horror. We will be covering the 2022 drama Men, directed by Alex Garland. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcasts app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at the Monstrous Feminine Podcast. In Men, Harper arrives in an English countryside manor with hopes of taking some time for herself to heal from the death of her abusive husband, James, and is greeted by the manor's bumbling British owner, Joffrey. She spends her time wandering the beautiful green woods until she spots a naked man who follows her back to the manor. The more she encounters the various men in town, the more Harper begins to feel a sense of unease around her male counterparts. Soon she realises the men around her are far more sinister than they appear. Has anybody traveled alone, solo traveled, stayed in an Airbnb alone, lived alone? How do y'all feel about being ladies alone in the world? I have a, a lot of fun solo traveling. That's the only travel I do is solo travel, pretty much. And I've done like rural staying alone. I feel safer in a city, I will say. I would be so afraid and anxious the whole time, I think. I have never even lived alone. I don't, like, I've never, like, spent any like time any significant amount of time alone ever in my life and I will do it but I'm very afeard and it's not my what I'm used to I enjoy solo travel because I feel like then I don't have to like necessarily worry about what anyone else wants to do I can just do what I want to do sometimes when I'm traveling like it's a holiday so I don't want to wake up at like 8 a.m and go on a tourist excursion so I enjoy it in that aspect but I will say you do have to be a bit more like hyper vigilant about people like following you and stuff, which technically I guess you should always do. But when you're alone, it's a bit more like you're more conscious of those things than if you're with someone else because it's like, oh, it's two against one. I don't really do like anything alone. When I meet people in London, I'm like meeting someone. I don't do a lot of like, let me just go here. And I'm trying to do it more, but like, yeah, I don't do a lot of solo activities. So holidays would be like the ultimate for me. I did do it actually recently. I volunteered in Brighton and but then Mila met me, of course, on one of the yeah, I was going to say, Louisa, I came. <laughs> I did. You did come and spend a day with me. It is true. But there were a solid two days where like some of the time I wasn't volunteering and I did like a little alone time, go to the beach and like, it was very lovely. And I was like, wow, love myself, love hanging out with myself. I should do this more often. I go all over my home city alone all the time. I eat alone. I go to the park alone. I go to the museum alone. I do lots of alone dates, alone excursions in New York where I live, where I can return to my apartment. I feel like that's scary about like somewhere rural or like not my house where I don't know the locks, where I don't know all the doors, where I feel like the travel aspect of it and having to rely on strangers for help. Because when I'm in my city, I'll just call my friend if I need help, but I don't know. I think I'm still not brave enough. I think that was one thing about this film is that she rents such a huge manor. I was like, I wouldn't be able to rent a place that big. There's too many exits. It's fine being in the countryside, like fine rural. I mean, that's a risk, but like whatever. But it's like, get like a smaller cottage. 
the only time I felt like this is so in the middle of fuck nowhere was when I was like taking a bus LA to Las Vegas and I stopped like halfway in the desert and stayed in a motel and I was like this is the scene of atrocious murders that's one thing I would not do is travel I'm scared of American road tripping you're afraid of like American road travel is that with like in a car or like on a bus type of situation uh first of all I don't bust (laughs) princess does not bust in America absolutely not no are you serious no I'm a mere plebeian then I bust everywhere um I'm not doing that see thank you it's totally fine but American road tripping in general scares me because like my aunt back in the day did it my aunt is a white woman I should say but she did it on the back of her boyfriend's motorcycle and they like went down route 66 and all that Like they did the experience and I just feel like I don't think I can have a similar experience. It doesn't feel the most safe. I'd be a bit scared. It's just so big. So you're like isolated for long periods of time. I'd say isolation for me or that the people I have to rely on are people who all know each other. It's like it feels like a massive conspiracy being in a small town. Also traveling while black is a whole other beast. You know, something to consider. (laughs) Something to chew on. The Monstrous Feminine is on Instagram, so please go comment on our post. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout out on our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week is Alexandra Carter Studio, who commented on our The Lore post and said, Love this movie. Looking forward to listening to this. Thank you so much, Alexandra. That was actually almost the name that my mother named me, and I think it is a really lovely name. Um, I've been thinking more and more about the lore since we watched it. I think I need to rewatch it and maybe I'll return to that comment. It has stuck with me, honestly. I think it has. Sometimes we do films and like I don't think of them as much in the moment and then they stay with me for a very long time. And <laughs> the lure is one of them. I hope you've listened to the lure episode now because it's out. Go listen to all of our mermaid episodes. Woo! I wish you lots of great food, nice weather, stress-free. Friendly reminder, girly pops, that we are also on Patreon. For one pound a month, you can gain access to our Discord. For three pounds a month, you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episodes. And for five pounds, you get all of that, plus the opportunity to pick our themes, films, and discussion points. Please support us. Any contribution helps. I know that this film did not get a lot of critical acclaim in comparison to Alex Garland's other works and that the claim that the film was a feminist film has been widely challenged. But in this essay, I will propose that this film is feminist in a way that no one really thought about. Maybe not no one. I'm sure other people thought of this. The Aquarius is aquarius right now. Alex Garland in this movie is arguing that the original sin was not Eve eating the apple, but Eve being created from Adam's rib in order to be more obedient to him and therefore making women subservient and creating the cycle of violence that is misogyny and women being considered as inferior to men. So the reason why I think this is I watched an essay on YouTube, like the beginning parts of it, and I didn't finish it because I really had to eat something before we did this podcast. But in the beginning of the essay, the guy kind of talks about how the color red comes into play and how there's all the symbol of the apple in the film. And the color red is linked to the King James Version of the Bible in which the text was originally read. Her husband's name is James. 
even the the green man in the film symbolizes rebirth so my take is that we see harper eating the apple all the men start coming forward and everything and there's even the moment in her marriage where she also eats the apple and shortly after that it starts spiraling and her and her husband's conflict is basically that she wants to live like a free life and be able to do whatever while still being married to him and loving him and he wants to control her so my thing is like it's arguing the the balance between eating the apple and that being considered the first sin and also the fact that men have the desire to control women and that it's continually perpetuated through like this rebirth of misogyny and throughout the film when she is in the small town and at the airbnb the more that she resists joffrey the more she is resistant to him like when he carries the bags in and she is like oh no i can carry them the more she kind of asserts herself or says hey, there's someone who keeps coming by the house or insists upon these things, the more the energy becomes a lot more violent and aggressive from him. And I think this film is sort of basically arguing that the first sin is not that Eve bit the apple and asserted that she, again, was not just going to be the subservient wife of Adam. It was that that was even attempted to be done in the first place and that they always should have been equals. For me, the film felt like more pagan. Because of Sheila Nagy, queen. Sheila Nagy is my new favorite like pagan icon. In the sense that, so according to The Guardian, I'm going to just read. The carvings are found on medieval churches, castles, and even gateposts in Ireland, the UK, and much of mainland Europe. They seem to have their origins in the 11th century. The oldest discovered in the British Isles so far dates back to the 12th century, and the youngest to the 16th. Yet their beginnings are an enigma. Early theories from art historians claim that Chilinigi were grotesque hag figures to warn against the sin of lust, a way of keeping the minds of churchgoers and monks pure. Others suggest that they are a talisman against evil. The act of women flashing their genitals has been believed to scare off demons as far back as the ancient Greeks. And more recently, Researchers have leaned towards the idea that the Sheila is a pre-Christian folk goddess and her exaggerated vulva, a sign of life-giving powers and fertility. So Sheila Nagy is that shot on the podium of like a figure with a face and vagina, labia open, clitoris there. There's shots in this film between green man, paganism, Tyus said, civilizes rebirth, true. But then in contrast or next to him, there's Sheila Nagy. So that's who the other pagan symbol is. So more recently, she's also a sign of life-giving powers of fertility. But it's interesting that you have that sign of fertility in contrast to the rebirth and fertility image of the green man. And also, Sheila Nagy has been historically read as like, is it sin? Is it lust? Or is it life power? And that's kind of a microcosm for how women are read in, like, let's talk about biblical circles, maybe generally. According to Gaelic Matters, we'll do a little bit of etymology, but many believe the name Sheila Nagy comes from Gaelic and means old woman with the breasts. Yet many do not have breasts. An alternative explanation is that ghee is related to the Irish slang for vagina or ghee, or an old English and Scottish word gig or gaig. I'm probably saying that wrong, but it's G-E-I-G, meaning the private parts of a woman. If this explanation is correct, it could mean hag of the vulva. Throughout the film, there's such a simplistic view of society. There's basically just the church and the home. And I think that is a further 
way to connect religion as the basis of patriarchal control and desire, especially like in the scene in which she tells the vicar that her husband did hit her and his response is essentially like, oh, men just have these impulses and you have to forgive them and it'll all be okay if you just forgive him and move on. You can't really hold him accountable for that. And her character's desire to not do that is viewed as like a felling on her end to follow her end of the bargain of what she should be doing in terms of a wife. And so I think that breaking down gender relations in the most simplistic forms of the home and the church and also having like this couple at odds. I also think it's interesting that they're an interracial couple, which also kind of plays a part in it because everyone else in the movie is a white man. That's when I realized, I was like, why would they have a fake child? Just get a real child. I was confused. I was confused by it as well. And I wonder if they like, because I thought the CGI was quite like not that great. Oh, I thought it was great. It was like uncanny. So here's my thing. I was reading, um, I was reading Wikipedia at the same time. And I read ahead something that the policeman resembles Joffrey and then something like someone resembles Joffrey. So I spoiled that for myself by accident because I was like doing other bits and bobs for the script at the same time. But I was, I was thinking when I saw the policeman, I was like, no, it's not the same man. Wikipedia is wrong. My thing is, that really could be any old man. White men be looking the same. We can say it. I don't mean to be rude, but I was like, had I not spoiled it by reading Wikipedia, I don't actually know if I could have, I don't even know if I would have ever gotten it. I got it when the character themselves realized. Maybe when they're all charging, when they're charging at the house, and maybe then I would have, I don't know, I don't know, I can't speak because I didn't go that route, I spoiled it for myself early, but I I don't think it would have been something, even with this, I don't think I would have noticed. I just don't think I pay attention to, like, men at all. What else are you paying attention to in this film? I came into this with like people not really liking this film and knowing that people didn't really like this film. And then a lot of the reviews are also kind of exactly what you just said, Ty. A lot of them say like, what is this film really doing beyond saying that like men are bad? Okay. And I read like, actually what was quite an insightful just Google review from Christine Warrington Broxton, who talks about how this film's an obvious commentary on like how men reproduce and rebirth toxic masculinity that was passed on to them. And it's a choice to have the figure of the green man and like symbolizing rebirth. And then it explores what is it that men rebirth? And it was like men rebirth, like toxic ideals, like such as this, you know? And I think that was quite an insightful view of it. Um, and I do think that that was quite well done, um, regardless of whether or not I would have clocked that Jeffy was the same person. But yeah, the one question mark I did have was a little bit on the interracial couple element, only because he is undeniably an abuser. And obviously any man can be of any race can be like misogynistic and uphold patriarchal values. I was just a little bit distracted because I was like, oh, it's, if you want me to, if this is a film that's like unquestioning about like at the minute about her powerlessness in the situation because of them, what the men are subject, around her are subjecting her to. I was like, it's more complicated. There are just other layers with an interracial couple because there may not be even in terms of gender power, but then you have race playing into it and what cultural power and privilege that affords her. Yeah, it's important also that she is white as we watch her go through this scenario one for sure, but it's like, it would be different if she was like a person of color with a black husband in a town full of white men. Like it would change everything. I feel like her whiteness is like very present to me in her relationship and out of it. Yeah. Which is why I was a little bit like, 
I just think I was a bit distracted by that point, and I didn't think that that was the point of the film. I think there were, it was a film commenting on the universality of toxic masculinity. It's like totality within everybody around her, all the men around her, and I was just distracted by the extra layer that an interracial relationship adds to it because there's more dynamics at play. So that was the one point where I was like, I'm not sure about that casting choice necessarily because I think it made me stray from the central tenant of it only because I think interracial relationships are like complicated and race inevitably comes up in them so it's not really something that you can throw in there unquestioningly and not add a bit more to and I think there was a little white lies review that commented on that as well like talks about how it didn't address the how the power dynamic might be different in an interracial relationship but you can still like be subjected to like domestic abuse in a interracial. I'm not trying to say that that's not possible at all, but I just mean it made me more distracted in the overall point because I was wondering about their dynamic. That's all. I agree. When I watched it in the cinema, I really, I mean, enjoyed. That's a weird word to use in this film. But I did really enjoy it in terms of like what I expect from a horror movie. I loved the body horror. In terms of it eliciting fear and horror, through its theme, which is patriarchy, men, it did a great job. I think that I kind of struggled with it basing its horror through something so, I guess, face value. Women have every reason to fear men, whether you want to look at it through evidence, through talking to the woman in your life. I think the most effective horror is something a little bit more subconscious. And the kind of fear that I want horror to elicit is not so much like the adrenaline-filled fight or flight that I kind of was like feeling in this film. And it did. It got into a little bit more of the abstract, monstrous feminine, we'll get into it. The horrors that I like most are something that kind of awakens a fear, you know, you don't want to confront or you don't realize. And But anything that's like, more primitive and more uncomfortable to sit with obviously misogyny and like domestic violence is uncomfortable but it's like the kind of fear that is very it's something you can recognize and something that physically in your body feels familiar but like a different kind of horror is like I don't know that's something I would have like liked it to delve into a bit more than just like men are scary jazz hands it did a really wonderfully complex execution of how patriarchy is cultivated in these communities of men? I would argue that I don't think the horror in this movie is necessarily that men are evil. I think the horror kind of is like, it's more of horror of isolation. And I think that's a different type of horror than it is to just exist in a world with men where there are other women. What do you make of the cop, the woman cop? She's the only one who isn't like the man over and over. They have an interesting conversation, but I can't remember. She doesn't. She says, "I think he's harmless." She's like, "For all it's worth, I know you're scared, and I know what he did, but I think he's harmless." Honestly, it felt actually a little bit unrealistic. I do not think a woman cop would have responded that way. I don't think a woman would have responded that way. I think they probably would. I feel like women who work in like very misogynistly charged spaces tend to overlook misogyny a lot. I don't know. I literally never voluntarily spoken to a cop. Actually, no, I've spoken to women cops. They're terrible. They're terrible. Oh my God, they're terrible. I won't get into it. That's PTSD. <laughs> Mila, you were saying like you wanted something more primal out of this than like 
men are scary or like what you look for in horror is like that thing that gets to your like subconscious whatever i found new fears unlocked in this besides just like men because like i didn't grow up like in or around a church or around a like abrahamic faith or whatever so i have no like association with this imagery beyond like i know the adam and eve story or you know i've never been around like men who are affiliated with like institution of a church or anything like that so the two things that got me real bad were the and i think this was really well done really good use of the adam and eve imagery because when i see like a depiction of adam and eve and they're nude in the garden whether they're covered with fig leaves or whatever the nudity does not upset me because i understand that like the, this was the purest earth that there was and there's no shame with the nudity blah 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 when that man shows up when he's standing behind her and she's on the phone with her friend and there's just this naked guy there that so effectively recreated the feeling of what it must have been to like bite an apple and realize what nudity meant like i was seeing nudity for the first time when i saw that man i'm like why is he like that why is he looking like that like that i was feeling like guilt in a way that i've never experienced like religious guilt or like what that is supposed to feel like he's just acting like he can just be naked like that's just like it, like the act of him standing there was so like shocking and inappropriate and terrifying because like a naked man is so terrifying to me like subconsciously consciously from what i've been taught from what i haven't been taught i'm so afraid of a just like an, a naked man with no context like that is so threatening there was like a full broad daylight scene all it had to do was have a man be naked without explanation that was the first like thing that terrified me on that like visceral level like you're describing the second was when the vicar turns on her because i have never been in a situation where i've been told you're supposed to trust a man in authority because he's affiliated with a religious institution, right? I just haven't been in those situations. So I kind of did trust him, even though I know this movie is about men, even though I know that by the end, all the men are probably going to turn out to be skeevy, even though I know that men affiliated with big religious institutions are often not good people, even though I know all of this, right? Like I have all that context. When he says that thing about her husband like oh do you feel guilty that you drove him to it i was so shocked that he said that i was like run immediately i have a visceral thing i'm like run this man is violent this man empathizes with violence that means that man is violent that was like another like primal instinct where i'm like if you don't get off that bench and get out of there and then once everyone's been confirmed to be this like same man demon spirit and he like physically attacks her and tries to assault her that was like we've watched a lot of scenes like that right like horror movies that interrogate men often have scenes like that for some reason that one really got to me i think it's like the audacity to be like to like claim to be a man of god and to like be so outwardly sinful like it just is so it's something I can't wrap my head around, even though like I understand that these things happen in the world and that they are like real horrors. And this is not like what we call like the, the oogie boogie spooky interpretation metaphor version of it, right? Like this is like literal violence that he's not being more of a monster now that I know he is supernatural than any man walking in the world. I feel like that turn 
to me where he's just like oh this is just like a regular man this is what it's like to be alone in a room with a man who has power like that's just how scary it is it was those three moments that like created new fears for me because I did not previously have like religious associations with that type of fear or misogyny or like or like how patriarchy can exert itself in those ways in those trusted spaces because I just don't think I've like been in a context where I'm like oh yeah I'm in a church I'm safe this is supposed to be sanctuary like nothing bad can happen here in the same way that like you should feel that way in your home like you said Taya the church and the home are connected in this really particular way I feel like I should feel safe in my home in the same way I should feel safe in a church in the same way I should feel safe in a pub but don't as a woman alone a lot of the time and like when she walked in there and everybody looked at her like you're not supposed to be here immediately I'm again run I get that visceral sense I'm like run there were a lot of moments where like she plows forward maybe because of naiveness maybe because she hasn't like caught on she's like oh I paid so much for this holiday the friend convinces her she's like you deserve this you've been through so much you deserve that to stay in this big thing I don't know I think I had a lot of those moments on the second watch that I think were I did not get on the first watch this was this is my second watch for me. I watched it, I think, when it closer to when it came out. But this is just to say, it did scare me more the second time than the first time. I think the first time I was like very confused by the religious imagery. I didn't get all of it. And then the second time, it made itself like much more apparent. Because of that, it affected me in a more successful way. I don't know if that like makes it generally effective, but I was like, good use of that well-known imagery. <laughs> I did think the reviews were just a bit harsh. For example, on the Roger Ebert website, they spoke about like the birthing scene being a bit going on too long and like inspiring unintentional laughter. And I was like, I don't think it did. I thought that was like the creepiest part. Also, someone else commented on how she just like gets like by the end, she just like walks away from it. And like her that relating to like her passivity or something, maybe perhaps her underdevelopment of the character. I'll find the exact quote we can talk. That's kind of a separate point. But I thought, I was like, no, I think the rebirth, the fact that it was so long, the fact that it was relentless, the fact that we had to watch every man come through in like graphic, like corrupted, like vaginal imagery, I thought was like the most poignant part. It really drives home all the elements that the film's trying to do with like the green man and like how toxic masculinity is reborn and over and over again in different cycles, various iterations of Joffrey's age. It doesn't matter, as you said, Ty, as well. I think maybe like there is, I'm a bit torn in the sense that maybe there did need to be something connecting the biblical to pagan a little bit more overtly, because I think they were just relying on you knowing that those symbols sometimes appear on churches in medieval Europe. And I think if you don't know that, then you'd be like, why is this figure here? I've never seen this before, or I don't understand, you know, and I, I, I'm kind of torn in that I don't want a film to over explain. But equally, I understand that I was reading at the same time I was watching. So I kind of understood it maybe because I was like having it being explained to me at the same time. I think like there could have been something that like made that link a bit clearer. I don't know how, but that's all I needed. So I think like that part wasn't as clear as it could have been, but I thought like the rebirthing part was the most poignant part. It like hammered home the idea. It was the best body horror bit in the film. I think it's in direct contrast when we're talking about the green man and how what men are rebirthing is like this toxic cycle versus what women are rebirthing. I mean, I'm speaking in binaries here, forgive me, but just to get through this point but what women are rebirthing are like is like more like life-giving and it's funny that her friend shows up pregnant at the end right I think it kind of drives that point home of like 
what new society could we imagine if we rebirthed something different than what they have been reproducing over and over and over again. I do think the end ends too suddenly. Like her friend just shows up and she's pregnant and that's it. I wish there was like just a little, a little moment. It just kind of cuts there. You mentioned a review about how like it became sort of farcical. I disagree strongly. I've never like had so much fun in a cinema because everyone couldn't stop squirming in their seat during that scene. It uses CGI so perfectly. Obviously, you know, you're suspending some disbelief here, but there's something he like does really well in Annihilation is there's this, um, I don't know, he just like gets the sort of grotesqueness of nature. I feel like that's kind of what he was like doing there as well. Alex Garland said the rebirth scene, he had a lot of trouble coming to terms with how he was going to do it. And he actually got inspiration from Attack on Titan. And he said the show influenced men more specifically the rebirth scene at the end because it was the show was written in terms of mutation and creating strange depictions of humanity and verges on the edge of ridiculousness but makes it strange and terrifying and imaginative in an interview that he did and I think that this really does do that like it does go on so long that it kind of edges on like ridiculousness but instead it just becomes so unsettling and you can't help but watch to the end to see what the final thing will be. Even though she does defeat it with the eggs, I mean, does she defeat it? It's able to regenerate all these times, and all the other times that she's, like, hit it or cut him, he's just healed and reappeared. So that's why I don't really see it as, like, a hopeful thing of, like, she was able to squash it and she can walk away from it. I'm just thinking of it as, like, she was able to get away. But then when she sees her friend pregnant, I mean, who knows what her friend will give birth to. But also there's a good chance that this will just continue to happen. Because to a certain extent, I feel like one of the scary things to me about being a parent is how little you can control of how your child comes out. Like you can do everything in your power to make your child understand the complexities of feminism and gender and sex and society however there's an entire world of things that they'll be exposed to and people that they'll be exposed to you can't necessarily control that you expect children to have like this very pure sense of not understanding sexism and misogyny and the sense of why that was so horrifying for the child to be one of the first people to really launch at her in a verbal way and just degrade her is because you expect children to be so naive and so sheltered from that type of thing. But overwhelmingly, I think very early on, boys are exposed to that, especially like when we think of like the boys will be boys. He hits you because he has a crush on you. Sexism and gender roles are passed along unless you as a parent or a teacher or whoever is making a conscious effort to avoid it. I read a review on Wired by Eric Ravenscraft and he quoted his colleague who said, I don't need to pay $15 to be afraid of being stalked and murdered by men. I can just go outside. And essentially the point is like, who is the audience? Like, what is it saying about men? I'm like, I don't think it's trying to say anything new about it. Like, I don't think it's trying to say absolutely anything new about that. I think that is the point of it. It's just like the way the information is being presented is creative. And I think a bit of a mindfuck. And that's fine. Like, I don't need, what What new ground are we going to hit about it? Do you know what I mean? Like, I was like, yeah, better bad. I don't understand what, like, what you were trying to honor that would have been more poignant there. I feel like that's Garland's, that's kind of his MO. He often has really, really interesting and, like, nuanced ideas. And 
like one aspect of the film like he executes really well but some of it just isn't and I actually always think that's really really preferable because it means that they've taken a risk you know filmmakers can't be pitch perfect with everything they do but with Annihilation there are parts in the film that weren't as strong as other elements but I feel like Garland takes risks and actually makes them more interesting films and way more like memorable Annihilation haunts me let's talk about the mon femme of it that was like the most monstrous womb what some of the most monstrous womb shit I've seen in a horror and I just thought that was like really interesting it was also really plain with Creed always talks about in horror like women being associated with like the animalistic nature of like birth and I just thought it was so interesting how a film which is so like like you said the psychology of it I wish I could have been with people in the cinema watching it but watching everyone squirm and it's basically because we're seeing a man do that granted it's exaggerated at one point he gives birth to his back at one point I think it's through his head it's still like swapping it around and playing with like body horror and gender in a way that I think is so psychologically fascinating and very mon femme. And I think it was very well done. Yes, the birthing, the openings, the holes were certainly an aspect of it. To me, also the swelling of the pregnancy, like the stretching, the big belly was really scary like that I've never seen like that aspect of it be considered horrific like nobody looks at a pregnant belly and is like that's so scary I mean some people do some people feel that way but for the most part like you can go out with a pregnant belly and people are gonna like wince when they look at you like that's still considered like something that you know is like acceptable to look at whereas like in this it was absurdly large it was over exaggerated like I would find that also horrific in a woman's body too it got more and more foreboding because it's very monstrous for women because that's all about the anticipation of a birthing monstrosity or like something horrible. Taya saying, isn't the last form her husband? Yes, the last form is her husband. Now, I have, people have some thoughts about that and I wanted to know what you guys thought about that. I thought it was just saying that like the man who terrorizes you came from Adam. I thought it was just like, this is the end of the line. This is what you're dealing with ATM thought of it as like the ultimate boss level of the misogyny in her life no i th- I don't think he's like worse than the other forms please i would argue the vicar was worse i agree with zeba i think it was more like this is what he came from this is why you got the man that you got because misogyny and violence is reborn over and over again i think it's because that is personally like her the demon in her mind is that she was somehow responsible for him becoming that way and seeing that he came from this and he was always going to be this person because of how misogyny and violence is passed down to men freed her from the thoughts of I was responsible I drove him to killing himself it's my fault and then she was able to kill like the pain that she was holding and release herself from it and then walk away I read a review which said that this is on Slant magazine by Keith Watson One of the problems with tying everything back to James's death, though, is that it only highlights how ill-defined Harper is as a character. Buckley very precisely plays her as a strong, independent woman struggling with profound grief. But beyond her relationship to James, Harper is largely a cipher, a businesswoman of some vague sort who happens to play the piano and has at least one sympathetic female friend, but whose personal hopes, desires, fears, and anxieties all remain a complete mystery to the viewer. Harper doesn't really do much in men beyond stand idly by as things are done to her. And while this reflects a dynamic of men constantly invading women's privacy, it also highlights the film's most telling ironies because Garland gets so much more mileage out of Kinniers, which is 
creepy evocations of pernicious blokedom than he does in exploring the contours of Harper's psyche. The film's pithy title turns out to be all too revealing. It may have a woman at its center, but Garland's latest is ultimately much more interested in men. I thought this was harsh. This fuck. It's harsh, but I don't disagree. I just think I don't, I just don't care. I don't disagree. It's just that I think with horror, we often have had the same thing of like, there's not so much time for characterization all the time. And I think like this film is just about her trauma and I'm a bit like, okay with that, you know? Like, I don't need to know her hopes and dreams. I'm curious to where they thought there was time to really explore her hopes and dreams. I think sometimes we have to think, where was that going to fit in the story and would it have mattered? I don't necessarily need to know her favorite serial if it does not matter to the storyline. If I'm not going to see her do any of the things that she's hoping and dreaming about, I really don't care. Like, respectfully, that has nothing to do with the story. And I think that also is part of the the story anyway. I think it's supposed to be, what do we really know about Eve in the Bible? Other than that she came from Adam's rib. I'm not saying there, there's anything wrong with the Bible. I would argue that I am Christian. But... <laughs> But I, I, I don't think that there is a lot of depth to Eve. And when people discuss religious context of things, I don't think they often discuss women in religion. That would be an interesting movie. It's just not this movie. And I think that, I mean, there's all sorts of retellings of religious or mythological or like, there's like things that we don't have like the source material to like expound upon. Like lots of writers take that as inspiration to like write from like the Penelope ad or like, you know, think like from the woman's perspective. Blah, 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 blah. And that's a really interesting genre, but it, it, it is make them up, right? That's not the source material. Like you're making up a story and you're using a text with not a lot of detail as your inspiration, but I cannot take that and run with it for like a biblical text. Do you know what I mean? Like in this, I, again, I agree. I don't need to know her backstory because I actually think she does a great job of playing the character. There's like a very long meandering scene through the woods she doesn't say there's no dialogue obviously because she's alone in the woods but I get a sense of who she is right like she doesn't live in the countryside she's very in awe of nature she's a little bit like playful like she's like doing the echo in the tunnel thing like I think there can be like subtle you know not hit you over the head definitions of who a character is besides like what they do for a living and what their childhood was like like I do think that I understood her I don't think anything was missing. I do think sometimes people really go over the head with critiquing things that are supposed to be feminist in terms of characterization, because I think this film does work as a feminist film, which I didn't originally the first time, but I don't think characterization is necessarily what makes a film feminist. I think Alex Garland is a bit more like, he doesn't really care if people critique parts of the film as long as he's able to bring forth the critique or the message that he's going through I also think he's really great at kind of playing with isolation and like kind of this ideal of the end of the world or new world overall in summary I think we all liked men let us know what you think listeners thanks girly pops we love you thank you for listening to the monstrous feminine be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. 
Brooms Up, Witches Out. <laughs>